Hey everybody, this is author Glenn P. Clinton III, and I want to welcome you to yet another installment of Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. If you don't know who I am, I'm a mystery writer, and I have been since about 1993. I currently write the Rolling Justice and NTSB Mystery Series. started this podcast about six weeks ago, trying to provide some information on various events and things that have happened in history or things that are currently happening. And see if we could shine some light on those things and make people think. Now, you may be a fan of mysteries. You may be a mystery writer yourself, and you just kind of want to sit back and enjoy and learn a little bit about an event. Well, this is the place to do it, and I hope you will enjoy listening to today's show, which is about Operation Paperclip. Now, this is something I hadn't heard about until a few years ago, but we're going to learn about it together today and see. I'd love to see your thoughts on it. So before I get started, I want to thank my sponsor, Florida Pickleball Clothing Company, for all your pickleball needs. FloridaPickleballClothingCompany.com. They got a new fall line of hoodies, so check that out. Operation Paperclip. Now let's go back to Normandy, 1944. And you've got intelligence officers landing And they're scrambling to try and get information on German weapons programs, specifically bioweapons programs, which the Germans had quite an extensive array of bioweapons programs. And they wanted to get information on any type of atomic weapons or or things like that. So a lot of these German scientists who had been working on these things started turning themselves into the allied soldiers. And during this time, you know, people were, these countries were scrambling. They were all wanting to get a leg up on the competition. They were looking down the road. They thought, well, the war's over, but what can we do to help ourselves down the road? Now it started as operation overcast was the name of this. And they were looking for scientific treasures and ultimately those scientists themselves and they later renamed it operation paperclip because of the paperclips were attached to the files of the most troublesome cases so like i'd mentioned this was britain france and especially the soviet union they all wanted to get a hold of these scientists for the cold war and the eventual space race that was going to take place And so that's what they did. They started hunting these guys down. They started making deals with them. So by the fall of 1945, German scientists started arriving on U.S. soil. And some of the most prominent ones were ones that you probably recognize their names. Uh, Werner von Braun, he's a rocket engineer. Uh, he started the German Rocket Society, and prior to the war, he was doing that. And this is just a bunch of guys shooting off rockets and little rockets, you know, little tiny ones, just having fun with it. And then Hitler comes in and he says, "I want a rocket program." So he hunts down Werner von Braun. He said, "Well, this guy's the head of the German Rocket Society or whatever," and you know, he didn't realize how big it was or what it was. Werner von Braun, who wanted to send people to the moon and eventually did, wanted to found himself with unlimited funds. The German, the Nazi party was 
going to support whatever he did. He developed the V2 rocket, which was, you know, killed a lot of people, killed a lot of Londoners. They called them buzz bombs. The early ones didn't have guidance systems on them. They basically would angle those rockets and they knew if they burned so long and the engine stopped, they would land in a certain area. They could figure that out. And they would make a buzzing noise as they dropped to the ground. That's what was terrifying the Londoners. But Von Braun was a rocket engineer and he's in, in instrumental in developing the first U.S. ballistic missile, a Redstone rocket, and later the Saturn V rocket. And he was also the director of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. But make no mistakes, this guy was a Nazi ideologue. He was a member of the SS, and he used to travel to Buchenwald concentration camp, and he would handpick the slaves that would work for for him building these rockets. And eventually they put this thing in a place called Punamundo, which was a mountainside facility to build these V-2 rockets. And it was terrible working conditions. These guys were dying by the thousands. So he wasn't exactly a, a good dude, but you know they made a deal with the devil in, in order to get what they wanted. Hubertus Strughold, he was a medical researcher and he headed the German Air Force Institute of Aviation Medicine. And he was known for his torturous medical experiments on inmates at Dachau concentration camp. Now, when they talk to this guy later, I mean, he, after the war, he's like, he denies that. He acts like he didn't even know. He just pleads ignorance. He became the chief scientist at the Aerospace Medical Division at Brooks Air Force and has been credited as being the father of space medicine. It's, it's crazy. Another guy, Walter Scheiber, former Nazi general, oversaw inhumane medical experiments. Involving bioweapons that resulted in countless deaths. He was captured by the Soviets, but he defected to the U.S. And he settled in Texas at the Air Force School of Aviation Medicine. So this, these guys were just a bunch of evil people who made, you know, made the best of it here in the U.S. Arthur Rudolph's another important figure in the development of the V-2 rocket, and he became a prominent aerospace engineer in the United States. Kurt Dubois played a vital role in the U.S. space program, particularly in the first director of NASA's Kennedy Space Center, overseeing the launches of various space aircraft and even the Apollo missions. Ernst Stublinger, a scientist and engineer who worked on rocket propulsion systems, uh, developed electric propulsion and played a role in the U.S. space program. So there's a lot of these guys, you know, coming over here, and a lot of people didn't even know it was happening, and they weren't aware of it. Well, you get into the 70s, 80s, the years go by, and you get Nazi hunters, and they're shocked that these people are in the U.S. So they're hunting these guys down. Now, there's a guy that they found, this is an article from 2014, he found this Jacob Denzinger, he was in Akron, Ohio. He'd started his own successful plastics company. And he was living the American dream. He was driving a Lincoln Town Car. He had a lakefront home. He invested in oil and real estate. He was doing all those things. Um, But when they found out that he was here, well, they deported these guys. And this guy was sent to Croatia. But due to a loophole in our U.S. Department of Justice, these guys were paid Social Security benefits. So this DeBinziger guy who's 90 years old was receiving $1,500 a month, and that's double the Croatian salary. 
He was getting U.S. Social Security benefits along with a, a lot of you know, these other Nazis. So it was determined that we had given $1.5 million to these guys in benefits. And it's, it's just unbelievable when you think of what they did. This Denzinger was an SS guard that took part in brutal liquidations in the Warsaw ghettos. And he killed, personally killed 13,000 Jews. So he was not a good person. And, you know, they found these people and they ended up deporting them and getting them out of here. Now, one big question that people always pose is, did some of these people get away? You know, a lot of them went to Argentina. You know, Argentina was one of the most sympathetic uh, countries to the Nazis. And it was a refuge in South America, along with Chile and Brazil. And it was home to hundreds of thousands of German immigrants, and it still maintained close ties with Germany even during the war. But after the war, um, the president, Juan Perón, had a fascist ideologue. He was a fascist ideologue and enlisted intelligence officers and diplomats. And they established what they called rat lines or escape routes through Spain and Italy to help these people. And even the Vatican gave aid in helping these Nazis flee. Uh, sometimes they were uh, knew about it. Sometimes they didn't know who these people were. But thousands of Nazis and their collaborators poured into the continent. And some of the most notorious, I mean, you're going to recognize some of these people's names. Uh, Adolf Eichmann, who was basically the architect of Hitler's final solution to exterminate the Jews from Europe. He was a notorious SS lieutenant colonel. And he has orchestrated the murder of approximately 6 million Jews. Now, after the war, he was hiding out in Austria, but he gets this Franciscan monk uh, to help him in Genoa, Italy, and he obtained an Argentine visa and signed an application that was falsified with the Red Cross to get a falsified Red Cross passport. In 1950, he boarded a steamship to Buenos Aires under the alias Ricardo Clement, and lived with his wife and four children in a middle-class Buenos Aires suburb and worked at a Mercedes-Benz automotive plant. Now, he was eventually caught by the Israelis. The Mossad agents caught him, and they took him back, and he actually was hanged. So that's that's a good deal there. Joseph Mengele, angel of death. You know, he, the Auschwitz death camp, did terrible things to people, experiments on twins and pregnant women, disabled. They used them as human guinea pigs tortured and killed children with medical experiments. After the war, he fled uh, to Argentina via Italy, where he owned a mechanical equipment shop and later remarried under his own name in Uruguay in 1958. He lived in various Buenos Aires suburbs. And after he heard about Eichmann's capture, he kind of went underground, first in Paraguay and then Brazil. And before the Nazi hunters could catch up with him, he ultimately drowned off the Brazilian coast due to a stroke. Walter Ralph, an SS colonel, who, now this guy developed a mobile gas chamber that he could drive around and gas people in back in the day. Killed 100,000 people during the war. Just a terrible dude. And uh, he, he was arrested by Allied troops at the end of the war and he escaped and ended up being uh, a military advisor to the president of Syria. Went back to Italy, escaped to Ecuador 
before settling in Chile and he lived under his own name. So I can't believe they didn't catch these people, but this is just something I just wanted to present you with some of these things. Now, one of the things I heard the other day, which I was talking with a friend of mine and he said, asked me about Hitler getting out of Germany. Now, the story that I've always told was Hitler died, committed suicide and was, you know, they burned his body and the Russians found his remains. But I started looking into that. And when I did, I started realizing that, you know, maybe that isn't the case. And I found there was a Gerard Williams wrote a book called Gray Wolf, I think it is. And it's an interesting book about Hitler escaping Germany. Now, according to him, there's witnesses, there's people, there's there's documentation, there's FBI documents that that Hitler lived in Argentina. And they claim that what happened was is in May, you know, of the 45 when the when the war was ending, the the Russians were closing in on Berlin on all sides surrounding it. There was an escape route from the bunker and they went to the uh, Reich Chancellery, and there was an underground tunnel that led to an underground railroad that went 10 or 15 miles outside of Berlin. Now, there was a guy, Captain Peter Bumgart, he was a Luftwaffe pilot, who claims that there was a, a main thoroughfare in Germany that they had made into a runway. And he was flying a Junkers 52, which is a transport aircraft that has short field takeoff and landing capabilities. He claims that he flew Hitler, Ava Braun, and um, another general and a few other people out of Germany to Denmark. Then from Denmark, uh, Williams said they went to Spain. Then in Spain, they ended up getting on a U-boat and spent 52 days on a U-boat and went to Argentina and lived there. They claimed that Hitler lived there till he was... 73 years old. The people in the community that were sympathizers would see him out to dinner. They would see, you know, he lived with his Ava Braun and two kids and just lived out his life. And somebody even took a picture of him and it did look an awful lot like him without a mustache. So it's just kind of crazy that any of this stuff goes on. The FBI had a file saying that they believed he was alive in Argentina and all. Why they didn't do anything, I'm not really sure why nothing was ever done, whether they just thought it was a hoax. But the remains that the Russians said they find, they tested the skull fragment and they said that it was it was the remains of a woman. It wasn't even him. They said they had a partial um, jawbone that had the dental records matched Hitler's. They said that the bodies that were burned were body doubles and these people were doubles made to look like, you know, they looked like Hitler. They even showed a picture of this guy that was his double. A lot of these people that are, Heads of state have body doubles for instances like that, but they claimed that they killed the body doubles and Hitler escaped. So I, I wouldn't think somebody that spent that much time devising all this stuff and wanting to keep his evil third right going uh, would let himself, would commit suicide and not be able to take his Reich down to Argentina. Maybe he could build his fourth Reich. So these crazy guys got away with, uh, a lot of them got, didn't get what they deserved, but it's an interesting story. If you get a chance to read any of these works, go back, research it yourself. Maybe you'll find out a little bit about, about this stuff yourself. I found it stunning to think that these individuals, 1,600 individuals were brought to the U.S., and then a lot of them were dispersed to other countries. 
to live out their lives. And, and after the evil things that they had done and caused so many deaths and caused so much destruction to the world, it just baffles my mind. So Operation Paperclip, think about it, research it. I'd love to know your thoughts. Thanks for listening today. Again, this is Glenn P. Klinger III on Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies.